bulletins. We'll read today's scripture together, which comes from Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Amen. You may be seated. All right. I'm going to try to do my best to keep this from blowing away on me, but hopefully it works. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll just be jumping all around the place. But, I mean, I guess that's not that unnormal for Marcus to do. But uh, <laughs> anyways, um, I love I love this parable. So we've been, uh, we just started last week. Drew started going through uh, just kind of a series on different parables throughout uh, the gospels, different parables that Jesus um, would share with his disciples or, or um, sometimes it was large groups of people. Uh, but he shared these parables and he shared quite a few of them. I think me and, me and Drew the other day, we were looking at kind of trying to look through a list of them and kind of list them all out. And there's like at least like, s- like depending on, you know, which ones break up into two, you'd say like anywhere from like 20 to 30 different parables that Jesus told or maybe maybe more I could be I could be way off on that but it's probably more than that um, but last week jo- uh, Drew talked about I'm going to pull this down a little bit I'm not quite as tall as him uh, last week he talked about the prodigal son which is a wonderful wonderful story and I'd, I'd really encourage you guys to go and read that if you haven't um, this week we're going to talk about the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl. So it's two different parables, but they're very similar in meaning. And so I wanted to put them together and very, very short, um, short and sweet. I like it short and sweet. Um, I think Jesus makes his point in these in these two, well, it's just three verses. Um, but uh, but before that, um, so we read Matthew 13, 44 to 46. I think it's also important for us to remember uh, why, why did Jesus teach in parables? I mean, a lot of times today we don't really teach in parables. Maybe we use certain illustrations, but Jesus taught a lot in parables, like a lot. And and I I'm curious to know why. And I think it's important. I think you know I'd like to like re- remind myself before I look into a parable or what does it mean, uh, why he why he why he spoke in parables. And so earlier uh, in Matthew chapter 13, it's the same one. Um, it's right after Jesus shares. Uh, he shares a parable about um, a sower or a farmer, someone who's sowing seeds, and he sows some seeds, and some fall on, uh, you know, like just a, a pathway, and obviously nothing grows up, and some um, is on shallow soil, and so the seeds they 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 grow really quick, but then they die, and then some on on uh, some good soil, but it's there's weeds all around, and it's choked out, and then some on good soil with nothing around it grows and grows and grows and so he tells this story now i i think it's funny because a lot of us hear these stories and we're like oh yeah, yeah of course it's jesus telling a parable well that would be like me coming up and just telling you a couple stories about a farmer and throwing some seeds and then like and then be like yeah if you and then at the end he says he says to those who uh basically he says what does he exactly say he says for those who hear um let them hear something like that. I I don't know exactly. I forget exactly. But basically, 
if you if you understand, you'll understand. And if you don't, oh well. And and that's all he says. And and you know you're like, well, don't you? We need we need some explanation. And so his his disciples come to him after. This is where he describes like what he meant. And his disciples are like, what are you talking about? You just told us about a farmer who threw some seeds out. Like, what does that have to do with? anything about life unless i'm a farmer that's not that relevant to me and jesus he he shares of what the what the parable means but he says in in matthew 13 10 through 13 why he shares in parables i'm gonna go ahead and read that now uh here wait one second matthew 13 all right then the disciples came and said to him why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has, been, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what, what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. This was like really challenging for me because when I first started thinking about why Jesus taught in parables, um, it was well, it was like illustrating, you know, s- certain things. But but Jesus, in this at least in this parable says, uh, or after the parable as he's describing why he says, I taught in this I taught in this way because these people don't really want to hear. And so they're gonna they're gonna hear my story, but they're not gonna understand it. Um, and and he knows the ones who who really want to understand it because they come later and ask. His disciples are the ones who really want to hear it, right? Um, and so when we're going through this parable, we're we ought to understand like Jesus is sharing these things because like the people who really want to know what they mean are gonna they're gonna ask about it. They're not just gonna be like, oh, that was a nice story, cool, I'll move on. Um, they're gonna ask like, what is like, what does he mean? And and what I love about Jesus is for those who ask, he gives. And uh, and, and I know that, you know, now in today's world, um, we don't have Jesus walking around with us like the disciples did. Um, but what we have, we have uh, the Bible. Now, I spent the last year at Word of Life Bible Institute um, just learning and studying. I've, I'd never gone to school after coming to faith in Jesus. That happened about six years ago. And, uh, and I spent the year just focusing on what does the Bible teach. And as far as what, what God has revealed to us today, um, now obviously people, you know, I still like feel like God speaks to me in certain ways, but, but I have no way of knowing if that is truly God or maybe I have something else trying to urge me in a different way other than if it lines up with the word of God. And, and the revelation from the Word of God, we have to know this, this book. Otherwise, we can just believe whatever we want to. We can do whatever we want to. And so we always have to measure truth based on what the Bible teaches. So I spent a lot of this past year learning about that. And, uh, and so uh, we're, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven like? And, uh, and if you guys want to look back, I'm going to actually read this passage again. I want to read it again um, just for the sake of it. But just to remind me um, of what we're talking about and, and like remind us like what is the kingdom of heaven like so Matthew 14 44 to 46 if you guys want to look at the front of your bulletins again Matthew 13 
Sorry, Drew took my bulletin, so I don't have the scripture anymore, so I'm going to find it here. That's all right. I forgive you, Drew. Love you, buddy. All right. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. All right, so the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And uh, we all, all have a lot of ideas of what the kingdom of heaven's like. You know, you, we have lots of movies and cartoons, and they talk about clouds in the sky and guys on harps and stuff like that. Or maybe that's your kind of thought of what heaven's like. Or maybe it's just like whatever you can imagine is the best thing you can ever think of times a million. I always <laughs> I've always heard that said. It's like, you know, maybe it's like the deepest powder day ever uh, for those of you who are skiers and snowboarders. Or it's a beautiful beautiful uh, sunset on the beach um, and times that by a million. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's time with family. That's that's your your best expression of what heaven could be. Or maybe that's the worst expression of what could heaven could be <laughs> is time with your family. Anyways, whatever your expression of heaven is, uh, what Jesus is talking about, the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about the, the fact that we can be forgiven by God. And what's what makes heaven great is not you know, whatever's wonderful there. Maybe it's the deep pow days. Maybe it's the sunsets. Maybe it's your family. What makes heaven heaven is God's presence. Is us getting to be with God like it was in the in the Garden of Eden when when Adam and Eve were walking with God. Um, nowadays, it's not like that because because we all know we all fall short of God's glory, and so there's a, an element of a disconnect between us and God. And uh, what heaven is, is heaven is that perfect unity. And so I want to do a couple things as we go through this. Um, and I'm going to spend most of my time looking upward. But I like to do this where I look upward, I look inward, and then I look outward. Upward is us looking at God. What does the Bible teach about who God is and how can we look at God, who he is? And then that changes us inward. And then what? How when we're changed inward, our outward actions change. Okay, And so I like to piece through it. But... But I think it's really simple with this one because um, what's being talked about, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's talking about value. All right, so the first story, we think of this this farmer guy who's, I, well, it doesn't really even clarify, but I, I kind of always picture it as a farmer in my head anyways. Uh, but he's going around and he finds some treasure in the ground. Now, this was one of the more confusing ones to me. Uh, when I first read it, I was like, okay, you find a treasure in a field, First of all, if you find treasure in a field, imagine finding like it's like buried or something, you know, a bag of like all the riches you could ever want. And he finds it in a field. I'm like, well, why wouldn't he just take it? It's like right there, you know, no one's found it or whatever. Um, now this this farmer or whatever he was, he didn't want to just take it because he knew that whatever land that was on, maybe it was someone else's land or something like that. Um, you know, he he knew that that would be stealing. And so so what he did was he saw how amazing he valued this treasure so greatly that he said, I'll do anything to get it. And, it. and he knew that the only way that he could get it rightfully was to put it back where it was and then and then get everything he had. Apparently, it took all of his money, all of his possessions to sell them all um, to be able to afford this piece of land. 
And so this man who values this treasure so greatly goes and sells everything. Okay? And then we look at the second story. What's funny about the first story is maybe the landowner didn't know what, what he had on his land. I'm going to assume if the landowner had known the treasure that was on his land, he probably wouldn't have sold it. The second one's different in the sense that the guy who owned the fine pearl, he knew, th- he knew that his pearl was of great value. And, uh, and the guy who goes around, he's looking for pearls, he, he sees it and he's, he values that pearl above any other pearl he has or any other possession he has. And it's the same thing. You go through the same thing. He valued it so greatly that he was willing to give everything for it. He's willing to give everything for it. And what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like that. For those of us who, who understand what it, what it looks like to know God and to be forgiven by God, we'll be willing to give anything. This isn't a very popular teaching, especially not in this country, because, like, uh, it's, it's really easy to just go around and say, well, I, like, I'd love some God in my life. I'd love to, you know, fit him into my schedule, fit him into my house, fit him into my family time, but, but he's just an aspect of it. But it's not very popular because in this country, we don't like to give everything up. Well, we, will, we don't want to value God so highly that we would do anything or go anywhere for him. Um, I hear of, of missionaries in other countries all the time who go through unbelievable things who are being who are being tortured and killed and they do it because you know they don't they don't have any first of all they don't have anything else to value when you live in a in a third world country and you don't have a competing value maybe you don't have a snowboarding hill to go snowboarding on maybe you don't have the the beach to go to you don't have a competing value and so Jesus is the only thing you can value and so they go through anything they'll give anything for God they'll die for him and as as we look as we look at this passage and it makes us look at God it gives me a a a truth about who God is and this is one of the harder truths that I had to come to in my life is that the, the real truth about God is that God thinks that he is so great we're talking about value God thinks that he is so great that we humans down here on earth who he created ought to look at him and be in shock that he would remotely want to have a relationship with us, that he would be willing to forgive us. We should be in shock and awe of who God is. The truth about God is that God thinks that he is so great that if I dare put my snowboarding on par with him, if I dare put my my relationship with my fiance on on par with him maybe my my family maybe my career if i dare put those things valued even remotely close to him he's like the kingdom of heaven's not for you the kingdom of heaven is for those who'd be willing to they see the treasure and they're like i don't care like i'll get rid of everything and uh and this is this is hard jesus uh, a little later in luke chapter 14 he talks even about how he says that I'm not going to read it, but um, he talks about how, how like you should be willing in comparison to your value for me, you should you should hate your your 
your kids, your, <laughs> your family, your relationships, even yourself. Even yourself, you should hate those things in comparison to me. And God puts such, a, such huge value on himself because God is that great. Now, when I was younger, I used to think, I was like, well, that seems like God's kind of egotistical, that he thinks, oh, like, I'm so great. You should give up everything for me. And uh, I, I love, Marcus told me this a couple years ago, and it really, really stuck with me. But... Um, that's because I'm I'm looking at God from a framework of like what I see humans as um, And God's just different. He's different than us and So I can only understand him based on kind of what I know um, But God the most loving thing that a perfect God could do The most loving thing that a perfect God could do is to create create beings that need him The most loving thing he could do because if you're perfect you lack nothing so there's nothing that I do inherently to add to him. When I bring glory to God, which is ultimately his greatest desire for me, it's not for his benefit because he lacks nothing. He's perfect. And, and when, I'm, when I'm faced with like tough things like, oh man, like God, you seem kind of like all about yourself and it's just all about God all the time. And it's easy for us to get into that framework. But, but we got to understand that any bit of my worship to God any bit of my, my speaking or, or when I sing, which isn't that good, but <laughs> whatever I do offer up to him, it's not for his benefit, it's for ours. And so as we gather today, we're reminded that th this is for our benefit, not for his. And when we get to worship God, it's, it's that, that we might be renewed on the inside. As we look into God's word, it's not so, you know, I can obey him better and he, he's going to get more people to follow him. It's that it restores me. God's going to do what he does because he does it. And I'm, I'm called to operate and, and obey in any way I can. And so as I look at these passages, I see the value. I see the value of what God is. It, it, it changes me inward. As I'm reminded that, that I'm, I'm a sinner, Eunice tells me all the time <laughs> that I'm a sinner. Marcus says, he says, if you don't think you're a sinner, then uh, get married. And then he said, if you still don't think, then you should probably have kids. And then if you still don't think, then invite the in-laws over. That's what he says, yeah. And it's not, it is not hard for me to, to understand that I'm broken, I fall short, I'm prideful, um, I, I continue to fall short of God's glory. And if I don't, if I'm, if I'm not, if I don't understand that, then I'll never look at God and say, I can be forgiven by you and in awe and value him so greatly that, that I'd be willing to give up anything. And that's what the kingdom of heaven's like. Most of my life, um, most of my life, I, I spent zero to 21. It wasn't until I was about like the very end of my 21st year of life right when I was turning 22, that I came to faith in Jesus. And, and that time, I had this idea in my life that Jesus, like, oh yeah, I get it. Jesus can, he can be my savior. He could, um, you know, I, I get that I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. You know, he can save me from that. But I, but I never valued him in the way that, that I should have. I never said, Jesus, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to give up my life and I'm willing to serve you. Until I was 21, and Jesus took hold of my life, and he showed me, first of all, that I can't do it. 
I can't do it alone. In fact, the way I was living my life just continued to, to put me in a downward spiral and more and more downward spiral where I was valuing everything else that was higher. Everything else was higher than God. My snowboarding, my relationships, uh, my career, all of it. Until I finally saw the value of who God is. I love in the Bible, every time people come into the presence of God, they're immediately humbled and they fall down and they say, I'm not worthy and, th- and you get that picture of somebody who's just like, I, c- I can't even stand before you. I mean, that's even what I was talking about. These mountains are amazing, but if they don't point you to the one who created them, they're just, it's just a painting in our eyes. It do- it's, it, it's, it's useless unless it points us to God. And so I was reminded when I was 21 that I couldn't do it that I was a sinner, that I was falling short of God's glory, and I needed him. And I, I said, God, I value more you more than everything else in this world. And for whatever reason, God decided to, to send me down his Holy Spirit. And he saved me, and he changed me. Now, there are days that I don't value. I think, you know, there's a certain element that we get to, like, in order to trust in Jesus for the first time in our life, we have to get to the point where we value him more than anything. You have to. Now, I go through swings in my life, though, being, being a Christian that I value other things more highly, and I ought to continue to remind myself, continue to ground myself in the Word and remind myself, no, there's nothing. There's nothing that's as valuable. There's nothing that brings lasting joy like He does. Everything else is fleeting. And so, as we, as we read these things, I, I, I almost want to say I'm sorry for Jesus' words because they're difficult, but I'm not. I'm more sorry for, for m- myself and, and many others in this country that we, we get up and we say, it's all wonderful, it's all great, you know, just follow God and uh, he's going to make everything good. And, and what we do is we, we share this, this gospel that, that points people to say, I'm going to just fit God in with everything else in my life. And what we do is we, we paint a picture of a God who's begging everyone to follow him when, when the truth is, is that God is a God who, who <laughs> like, we should be the one begging. And that's what these parables teach. And so I'm not going to apologize for Jesus' words. I'm going to apologize for mine because my God is an awesome, awesome God. And he is so worthy of my praise, and he's so worthy of our praise, and he's so worthy for us to give up everything for him. Our value and looking at him ought to lead us to say, God, take me anywhere, do anything with me, whatever you want. If that's never a decision that you guys have made in your life, I would strongly encourage you to make it. Um, after the service, we do a, a meal time down at the bottom um, that we can just hang out and have free food and, and talk. Um, but, but if that's a decision that you've never made, if you've never looked to God and said, oh, man, I, I would give anything. You're the treasure in the field. You're the pearl of great value. Like, I, I want to value you more than anything in my life. If you want to make that decision to trust in Jesus for the first time, don't 
Don't leave today and not ask somebody about it. Don't leave today and not talk about it. It's the best decision you've ever made, you'll ever make in your life, the best decision I've ever made, and the best decision that many of you guys have probably already made in your lives. Please don't go any further. God is so good. And the truth is, is that it is a free gift. It's a free gift of God. We don't have to do anything. I don't have to clean up my life when I, when I decided to make him that valuable in my life. But I knew that he would do it. And so um, let's just pray um, as, we, as we are reminded of God is so much more valuable. And that's just as true for those of us who've already put our trust in him. That we would value him higher than anything else. Father, um, I just want to thank you, first of all, for this beautiful, beautiful day. Uh, these beautiful mountains and these beautiful people in front of me. Um, for some reason, Lord, you you made this beautiful planet and these, these beautiful mountains behind me um, and the beautiful sky and the beautiful oceans, but you decided rather than making your home in the mountains, you decided to make your home in us. God, I pray that that we would value you so much more than anything else in this world, whether it's the mountains, whether it's our families, whether it's ourselves or our careers or whatever. Father, that we would that we would know that you are so much higher, so much better. You are the best place to put our hope in. I heard it said that you are the softest pillow to lay my head on at night. God, you are my restorer. You are my redeemer. You've forgiven me. And you've made me new. God, we praise you. And I just pray that, that if there's anyone in this, uh, not in this room, but in this, uh, in this space that has never decided to put their trust in you, that, that you would, uh, that Lord, that you would change their heart, that you would um, take them to a place where they'd value you higher than everything else. God, we love you, and we know that you are worth it. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our trust. We pray all of these things in your Son. Jesus name. Amen.